cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Chris Becker, co-founder of the Honeybee Collective. Chris, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm great, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. I want to talk about like the origin of the Honeybee Collective. I know it's employee-owned. Can you take us through like the early days? How, how did that conversation start? Where did the idea come? And take us like kind of the origin concept of it. Sure. So uh, about two years ago now, I removed the pandemic. Um, I wanted to start a company. I wanted to work with people that I think are really impressive people and people that I enjoy being around. And I reached out to a group of about 15 people via email, said, hey, what would you think about starting a company? I think it's easy enough to start a private label cannabis company. And I think we have a real opportunity to reach consumers in a way that other brands currently don't. Meaningful messaging that resonates with them. And we could do some good in the world with the profits that we create. And that was the premise. That was uh, enough to get a bunch of people on an interest call. From there, we deployed some surveys to see if this idea actually resonated with people who smoke weed. Uh, we had several thousand people who identify as daily cannabis consumers respond to our survey and overwhelmingly supported it and said, yes, this is absolutely something that we are missing in the market. And from there, we refined the idea, refined our positioning, did a lot of research to come up with this unique kind of employee-owned structure. So when you're forming the, the origin, right? And the investors have the questions to say, hey, Chris, this sounds great, but like, how do I know that people are going to be tied to this for the long term? Like, is this is more of like a concept that works better, like in theory versus actually on paper? Are those some of the questions you fielded? And then when you went through with the, the crowdfunding, did the investors also have similar questions? What did they get in exchange for equity? Was it access to information, to the products? What, what was it exchanged in that moment? I think initial investors not being the daily cannabis consumer themselves were skeptical of the consumer research that we had gathered that, that said people would support our brand. And as an early stage brand, it's reasonable to, with zero sales, it's reasonable for an investor to go, I'm not sure that you're going to kill it in the market, right? And, and, and despite founder enthusiasm, it's okay for them to say, uh, I don't know about this, right? And they want to see some sales and maybe they'll invest next year. Um, uh, when we went for the crowdfunding, people asked very few questions because they very much related to what we stood for um, as an employee-owned company that guarantees living wages and is trying to reduce waste and increase uh, environmental-friendly practices in the cannabis industry. All of those were things that people identified with and were willing to put their money towards to support. So let's talk about the, the marketing for the products. It has more of the desired effects on it versus the actual strain, right? Can you take us through the origin of that and how your team came to that decision? We use peace, pause, and party instead of indica hybrid sativa to try to guide people as to the effects of the products that they can expect to experience uh, and give them another reason to reach for our product on the shelf. Cannabis branding is all about giving people a reason to reach for your product from six feet away and behind a piece of glass, right? So you need to be loud and proud and colorful. So that's what we did. We used Peace, Pause, and Party. We came up with that. It was one of my partners and I had a hour-long phone call and smoke session and uh, tried to come up with different words. 
peace and party came first. And then uh, I believe she just dove into a thesaurus as we were both smoking joints on the phone, found the word pause, and that was it. That we, we, we were done. <laughs> I love it. So what is pause? Pause is your hybrid strains. It's really good for resetting your day. It's, it's anytime smoke. So let's move on. What is Blunts and Bingo? Blunts and Bingo is a fundraiser event we just had this past weekend. We had about 75 people come out. We played Bingo. We gave out prizes from Jane West, Jaden Jane, Elements Boulder Dispensary, Lady Justice Brewing, Death & Co., Skin Lab Denver, Fields of Weed. We had so many great sponsors here. And ultimately, we raised $1,077 for a local uh, mutual aid project called Denver Community Fridges that has free food fridges around town to feed people that need it. Awesome. So how, how does it work? What is like, what is Blunts and Bingo? Is it exactly like it sounds? It's exactly like it sounds. We had games of bingo and a blunt rolling competition at the first licensed cannabis bar in Colorado. Why do you think the states did limited licenses? What do you think was the original intention of it? Was it uh, a different concept that kind of got misconstrued along the way? Or, or take us through what you think was the original goal of limited licenses. Some of the people that own limited licenses were involved in the writing of limited license laws. So <laughs> that's the first thing is people saw, hey, we can get legislators to limit licenses based on the fear that they have of legalization. Limited license schemes were more palatable in purple and and even some blue states where there's still a lot of prohibitionists around uh, or, or conservative culture for whatever reason. So it's it, it was a way in. And in my opinion, activists should have held out for better legislation. But there's a lot of people that feel any access is better than no access. And I'm not going to fault them for that because there are people like that desperately need medical cannabis that now have it due to these limited license laws. Uh, slightly switching gears, Chris. What is one state, company, or policy that you think is doing things the right way? I'm really impressed with the way New York is is rolling out their market. Um, they are favoring uh, more sustainably grown cannabis in terms of they issued licenses to hemp growers who will either be growing outdoors or in relatively small greenhouses. Um, they're giving license. They, they, giving licenses to farmers also gives license gives life to farms. And I think that's incredibly important because farmers are struggling. Cannabis, in my opinion, should be grown in an agricultural outdoor setting, not in an indoor factory setting. And and if that can help save small family farms that are otherwise almost guaranteed to go out of existence, uh, I think that's great and admirable. And then on the retail side, they're prioritizing social equity. They're prioritizing uh, restorative justice by giving licenses to people who were uh, impacted by the war on drugs. And I think that's the right way to go. So I, I really admire New York with the way New York is doing it. I'm sure there's flaws, but uh, I, I think they're, they've gotten it the most right so far. Chris, what is an under-recognized challenge operating cannabis that most don't recognize? There's this big scam called metric that, <laughs> that takes... Uh, just a fraction of every single transaction that you do in cannabis. Uh, whether you are putting a plant in the ground, moving that plant from like one part of your facility or harvesting it or moving it and selling it to a, to a dispensary, you have to have these little blue tags that cost 25 to 50 cents every time. They create this ridiculous amount of plastic waste 
they're not recyclable because they have an RFID tag in them that nobody uses. And their system is constantly down and it's, and it's the mandated seed to sale tracking system in most states. So um, that is a huge impediment. I would, say, I would say just metric being down is one of the biggest impediments to productivity in the cannabis industry. Since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? I think probably that there's immense profits in the industry. In the legal industry, there's not. Most ones are like comparable to typical manufacturing plus their tax disadvantage. So you have less profit. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest misconception overall about cannabis is that these companies are just printing money. But from within the industry, I also see this misconception that like a business's success or failure depends on them like really exploiting labor and paying low wages. So Chris, for our listeners, they want to get in touch, they want to learn more, and they want to support the Honeybee Collective and attend Bones and Bingo. Where can they find you? Uh, Join the Hive on our website, honeybeecollective.com. There's a box you can enter your email and your phone number. We'll let you having fast giveaways, when new product drops, all that kind of stuff. So that's the best way to stay in touch with us. You can also follow us on uh, social media at the.honeybee.collective. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Honeybee Canico. Um, I'm Chris, at Chris underscore Honeybee. Uh, if you want kind of more hot takes on the industry. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think that's all of our socials. Yeah. Yeah. I'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. This was fun. Yeah, it was. Thanks, yes. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like, their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.